there was a vacuum salesman down in rural Tennessee. He had his vacuum cleaner and all his tools and everything, and he went out to this one house and told the lady living there, he said, I've got the most exciting vacuum cleaner. I know, vacuum cleaner is exciting, especially those Dysons, right? They're really cool. I've got the most exciting vacuum cleaner you have ever seen. It will clean your house from top to bottom, and the best part is you're only going to have to pay just a little bit of a down payment to start using it. Well, the lady answered, well, that sounds real good. That's my Tennessee accent, everyone. The salesman then said, you see that big pile of dirt over there and the, on the floor with the hairballs and the bugs and all that other stuff? I'll just plug in this vacuum cleaner, and it'll easily pick up all those things just like that. And if it doesn't, I'll eat whatever it doesn't pick up. The lady answered, well, you might as well get your fork and knife because we don't have no electricity out here. (laughs) You see, a fancy vacuum cleaner, a toy without a battery, right? A Ferrari without gas, a jet without fuel, a wind turbine with no wind. They can't do or produce anything without a source of power, right? Everything has a source of power. Those of you who'd like to ride a bike, you're the source of power, right? Everything has to have a source of power. The things that God has called us to do require power, don't they? They require power. Unlike this rural house with, uh, without electricity, we've actually been promised power, and we've received it with the sword of the Spirit. It's the last piece of armor. Like the others that we've looked at before, like the, the breastplate and, and the helmet, most of those others were defensive primarily in nature. Defensive, right? A shield defends you against a spear and things like that. And the sword is defensive as well, but without question, even though the sword is defensive, and I want to say, those of you that know swords, you can use a sword to block someone else's sword, can't you? That's a defensive measure. But without question, it's also the most offensive weapon in the arsenal of the whole armor of God, right? Sandals are nice, feet shot with the gospel feet, but they're not the offensive weapon that the sword of the Spirit, all these things are important, helmet of salvation, they're defensive, and they are offensive too. There's ways that they can be offensive, but uh, this is the most offensive weapon that we have to go out against our enemy, and really cut through the lines of darkness to reach people. Hebrews 4.12 says this. It says, for the word of God is what? Alive, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intents and the attitudes of the heart, doesn't it? What other thing can do that other than the word of God? Nothing. Nothing. A John Grisham novel can't do that, right? No other words written. A dictionary can't do that. A blog can't do that. Only the sword of the Spirit. Revelation 2.12 says, And to the angel of the church of Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Jesus has a sharp two-edged sword. It comes out of his mouth. The word of God. Acts 19.20, it tells us, And the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. 
as it spread. Now, it already was power and actually grew in power. Isn't that interesting? 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. If you want to see someone get deep conviction, uh, you've you got judges that are legislating whatever they want in this country. You've got business people that maybe are lying about a business deal. You've got people in immorality. There's no thing that you can put in front of them that will offer deep conviction unless it is the Word of God. Everything else can be pacified, you know, kind of some way you can rationalize, but not when God speaks because it goes through the, the thoughts and the intents and all the way into the soul, the Word of God. Now, unlike a vacuum cleaner that needs an electrical outlet, right? Got to have an electrical outlet unless it's a rechargeable, but even still, the rechargeable battery has to go to an outlet. So no, no way around it. If you have a vacuum cleaner, it's going to need an electrical outlet. Or this sword here, eventually it would, it would get dull and you have to sharpen the blade, right? Eventually the, the blade will get dull. But not the Word of God. It is in and of itself perpetually self-sustaining. It never is lacking power. It never grows dull. It never becomes useless. What God has given to us church, family, what God has given to us is more like He's given us a vacuum cleaner that never needs an external source of power, ever, right? Because a vacuum cleaner is quite effective, can do a lot of cool stuff, especially if you have one of those neat Dysons. But it's like God gave us one that never needs to be charged. It is full of power that never needs any external source. And the reason why Scripture the reason why the Word of God, the reason why the Sword of Spirit is that way, this book is because it has been permanently empowered by God. Who spoke the universe into existence? How big is our earth compared to the most powerful black holes in the universe? It is statistically not even visible ever in the scheme of the power of the universe, right? So God empowers His Word. He empowers everything. He is the power behind everything, right? His Word has power. Remember when they tried to arrest Jesus? He turned and spoke. What happened to all the soldiers? That was another sign that they should have had that night that they were dealing with the Son of God. I say that often because when you study the whole story, you're like, oh, there's another one. There's another one picked up an ear. That sounds weird. You know, that's the, the, uh, I put these together. I think... I could be wrong, but I've never really seen a prisoner like this, right? But whose word can knock people over? Whose word can speak a universe into existence? God has perpetually empowered His word. 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God breathed. God breathed and is useful for the following. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, that's not the full list. That's just some off the top. Everything else, Time Magazine's not useful for those things. It's wrong a lot, too. Gets things wrong. College textbooks, they're wrong a lot. They get some things right. They get revolution wrong. They get evolution always wrong. But these things that man comes up with, they're not God-breathed. 
They're not, they have no power. They're like a vacuum cleaner that has to have the electrical outlet, but not the Word of God. It doesn't need your help. It doesn't need my help. This is why Charles Spurgeon used to say, it's like a lion, just let it out of its cage, it will defend itself, right? When you have a 550-pound lion, you can let it, it, know, it, it will do its own defending if you let it out of the cage, right? So will the Word of God. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the Word of God endures how long? Forever. Never, ever will it end. Ever, ever. When you go to heaven, if you're saved, the Word of God will be there forever. It will never end. It is empowered by the very breath of God. Now, by the way, uh, Peter quotes that same passage in 1 Peter 1.25. Now, everything that we see and touch in this world, kids and adults, every single thing we see and touch in this world, this keyboard over here, this pulpit right here, this building, your house, your car, everything you see in this world, everything except for this book right here, because you can actually see and touch the words of God, right? We actually have them in our hand. Everything else you see is going to grow old, it's going to fail, it's going to fall, it's going to end up in a county landfill, it's going to be rusted, it's going to, even Jesus said, everything you see, moth and rust and everything else will corrupt, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Everything else will eventually stop working, even a Rolex, right? Everything will stop working, but not the word of God. Now, why is the sword of the spirit, why is the sword of the spirit so unique and powerful? Well, we know that it's God-breathed, But because the sword of the Spirit is, it's not only God-breathed, it is God-breathed, but it's more than that. Principle duality again. The sword of the Spirit is none other than the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Does everyone understand that the Word of God is God? Is? What does John say? In the beginning was the, and the Word was with God, and the Word... So the Word is God, it's the Spirit of God, it's the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are actually the literal Word of God. Now, I don't know how all that works, do you? I don't know how the Word is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and yet it is. And yet it's also breathed by God, and yet it is God. It, see, God's at dimensions we can't understand. You know, we see things in a certain level of dimensions, but God works at a level, but His Word it's uniquely powerful because it's not only breathed by God, it is God. It's His Son. It's His Spirit. We are given, in the Christian life, we're given two unstoppable works of the Spirit if we're yielded. Conditional, right? If we're yielded, we're given two unstoppable works of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Saeed's a great example of this. They have him in prison... They think they're in charge. He's won 30 people to Jesus Christ. Who's in charge when the tables are turned at the great white throne judgment? God. You can't, you can't imprison the gospel. Whenever you put, Paul and Silas were put in, in jail, that did not end their ministry. The whole jail gets rocked, right? 
two unstoppable works of the Holy Spirit. One is the sword of the Spirit. Unstoppable, right? How many, how many people in the world history have tried to destroy this book? Stalin, Mao, Adolf Hitler, Idi Amin, Harvard, you know, all the, all the, you know, all the, uh, all the different, um, all the different academia, school boards, you know, American government now, you name it, uh, Chinese government today, uh, Sharia law, all these things. No one can stop it. I love uh, the Word of God speaks even, you know, Pastor Saeed got saved, God came to him in a dream. How are you going to stop dreams? You can't. Because the Word of God can't be stopped. The Word of God goes out even if, Jesus said, even if we're not going to proclaim the Word, He'd have rocks start doing it. Isn't that great? I don't want to stand before God and say, a rock did a better job than you did. Do you? I don't want to stand before Jesus at the beam of seat of Christ and hear, a rock did a pretty good job, you did nothing. Of course, if you did nothing, you may not stand before the beam of seat of Christ. That's a whole other ballgame, isn't it? But, the word, of the, the word of the Lord, the sword of the Spirit, is one of the unstoppable works. The other unstoppable work is what? The anointing of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit fell upon John the Baptist. Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus Christ. Both of these are accessed by your and my life. I said it had to be yielding. Both of these are accessed by your life and my life through obedience and prayer. You can't have one and not the other. Obedience and prayer. You can say, well, I'll do prayer, but not obedience. Then those two works. Now, they are still unstoppable. They're unstoppable around the world because the Holy Spirit is still using His Word tonight. Every continent in the world, the Holy Spirit is speaking through His Word right now. Amen? Everywhere in the world, someone is anointed by the Holy Spirit. So whether you and I do it, like like, uh, uh, Mordecai told Esther, if you don't do it, God will raise somebody else. Amen? So if you say, well, I'm going to sit out, Lord, he, he'll, be, he'll, he'll survive without you. You won't survive without him. But the word of God and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, those are the two unstoppable works. If you have a person who has the word of God in them and has the Holy Spirit upon them, they cannot be stopped unless God says, that's the end of their life. And they, even, when they go, even when they die, their work lives on. Samson did more in his death than most people will ever do in their lifetime, didn't he? Even in their death, it's an unstoppable work. But these unstoppable works, the sword of the Spirit and the anointing of the Spirit, they're both accessed by obedience and prayer. We see in verse 18, not only do we have the sword of the Spirit, but we're told to pray always with all supplication in the Spirit. So the Word of God and the prayer of the Spirit, they go hand in hand. Now, if you understand these things, then you see that when we pray in the Holy Spirit and we're in obedience to the Spirit, then the sword of the Spirit that God has already given us, we have our Bible, we have now a force multiplier from God where He takes the Holy Spirit and the sword of the Spirit and the explosion's like an atom bomb, right? The sword of the Spirit and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You give John the Baptist the words of God and the Spirit of God, you've got a guy that will literally flip Israel upside down. And that's what he did. Everywhere. That's why Jesus was able to say to the Pharisees, 
the ministry of John the Baptist? Was it from man or was it from God? Remember they tried to trick him? They thought they were so slick. And Jesus said, I'll answer you a question if you answer my question. I'll answer your question, you answer mine. Minister John the Baptist, was it from man or from God? Well, if we say it was from man, the people will kill us. If we say it was from God, then Jesus will say, then we're rebellious. We don't know. Neither will I answer your question. I love Jesus, don't you? You can't tongue twist and try and get him in Rubik's Cube conundrums and all that stuff because he speaks what? The Word of God through the power of God, through the Holy Spirit, the sword of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is flowing through us and the sword of the Spirit is in our hand, um, which is spiritually speaking, it is like uh, having that sword right by our side. But really, spiritually speaking, it's in our hearts, right? It's in our hearts. And from our lips, the work of the Spirit ministers and testifies. The Word itself testifies, but the Spirit testifies. If I speak from this pulpit, just get up and read the Bible. Let's say I'm living a life of sin. I don't have any walk with Jesus. I have no power of the Holy Spirit. I just get up here and read the Bible. Do you know it still has power? Even donkeys can read it and speak. And you know, there's a lot of pulpits where pastors are preaching. They have no power of the Holy Spirit whatsoever. They haven't the Holy Spirit has not breathed upon them. They can read words all they day. And thankfully, the Word of God still can save somebody. But it's a real force multiplier when you take the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Amen? Acts 1.8, Jesus said, but you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. They had already had three years of the Lord giving him his Word, right? They had three, year, you, three years of training with Jesus. It's like 55,000 years of college. I just made that number up. <laughs> but think about it. If, what could Jesus, if, if it says in the book of John that he did more things than all the books of the world could possibly contain, what would three years of training by Jesus really be worth compared to any other education? That's why they looked at John and Peter and like, who are these guys? They have no college education. They speak with men of learning and, and authority. This makes no sense because they had learned from the one who breathed the universe. They had the power of God on them. So Jesus says in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And whether they throw you in prison or whether you're free, you'll still be my witnesses anywhere you go and you'll still have power and you'll already have the word I gave you, but you'll not only have the word, you'll have the power of the Holy Spirit. We immediately see this force multiplier take place. On the day of Pentecost, who is the one that stands up to preach? He had, he had denied the Lord three times. He had been restored. Yeah, you're right. Peter. Peter stands up to preach. Did he have the Word of God in his mouth? Did the Holy Spirit fall on him? Force multiplier. He gets up. He speaks with the anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit, and he speaks the Word of God. He... Uh, he gets out the sword. Peter, actually at Pentecost, whips out the sword of the Spirit, and he's anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and now he has the power of God both in him, on him, and in his hand, because how do we know? Well, he quotes from the prophet Joel, and he quotes from David. 
Matter of fact, about half of what you read there in the book of Acts is actually scriptures that had already been written. Peter requotes them under the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's odd about that is many of those Jewish people had heard those scriptures before. Yeah, yeah. They don't, but they didn't say, yeah, yeah, Peter, we've heard it. Instead, 3,000 dropped to their faces and got saved. Word of the Lord, the sword of the Spirit, under the power of the Holy Spirit, and we see that force multiplier. Now, Jesus, the same thing. When he went out in the wilderness, he was tempted for 40 days. He was being attacked by Satan himself. You and I get a low-level demon. Jesus gets the devil. The devil has come nowhere near most of us. He's somewhere else in the world. He's bothering Billy Graham right now, I'm sure of it, and other people like that, but he's come nowhere near most of us. You get some low-ranking demon, or you get TV, which works the same. (laughs) And so, if you have TV, he doesn't really even need to send a low-level demon. He's got everything right there. Each channel is represented and stuff like that. So, Uh, But Jesus is attacked by Satan himself in the desert. He's starving, truly starving, hungry, and Satan is badgering him, attacking him, tempting him. And Jesus, he was led into the desert by who? By the Holy Spirit, the Scripture tells us. He's led by the Holy Spirit. He's under the power of the Holy Spirit, and he speaks what? The sword of the Spirit. He kept saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. He uses the sword. Now, we've only got a couple of minutes left, and I purposely only wanted to spend a couple of minutes. I wanted to spend a lot more time on helping you understand the context of the power of the sword of the Spirit, how it's appropriated, obedience and prayer, obedience and prayer, and then the force multiplier of the power of the Holy Spirit and the sword of the Spirit working together. And the reason why I wanted to spend more time on that and only a couple of minutes as we come to a close on just hidden and handled, I just want to give a few parting thoughts on hidden and handled. Uh, You know, Abraham Lincoln said, give me six hours to chop down a tree. I'll spend the first four sharpening the axe. That's what we just did. Make Make sure you understand why handled, why hidden and handled is important. The Word of God. Who here would not want who here would not want the power of God resting on you and the Word of God flowing through you? Chuck Smith said, you know, one time, he said, you know, I, I purpose to try and answer people's questions always with the Scriptures instead of my own thoughts. Try it for a week. A lot of people, they, your coworkers won't even know you're talking Bible. You don't give them a verse. You don't say, Romans 8, 20. You, just, uh, you give them a scriptural concept back. Right? You can talk the scriptures. You want to have it hidden. Now, what does it mean to be hidden? Hidden really means ready. Ready. Now, if you're in battle, you don't want to hide the sword like under the horse or something. You actually need it nearby. This has a little belt loop. I can wear it right on my side. But Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You have the word at the ready. Here comes a temptation. Remember, this is the armor of God. Here comes a temptation. Out comes the sword. Off with the head of the temptation. There hath no temptation taken me, but such is common to man. You know, you can actually quote that scripture to temptations that come your way. But God is going to give me a way of escape, isn't he? 
that I might be able to bear it. No, well, this temptation is probably, I'm probably the first person on planet earth that's ever had this one. No, pretty common. Same verse that God gave you, he gave me. I can actually quote, say, Lord, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know, Joseph almost quotes that verse in a different way when he says, how can I sin against the Lord? When he, remember Potiphar's wife comes, he says, how can I do this thing against the Lord? It's essentially, how can I do it? I've hidden his word in my heart. How can I do this and sin against the Lord? Psalm 1, verse 2. I love Psalm 1, for any of you do. Psalm 1 is about the person who bears fruit to God. It says, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it one minute a day. No, day and night, right? Day and night. Constantly remembering Scripture. As I've been reading about George Mueller, one of the things George Mueller did, everyone here can do it. If you have a smartphone with a Bible on it, you can do it. If you have a literal Bible with, you know, paper like this, you can do it. George Mueller, every chance he got, he'd be walking like down the hall and he would have a spare second. He would just open his Bible and he would read like a couple of verses and keep moving. He did it all day long. He would constantly be putting the Word of God in. We, on the other hand, we do that with unimportant things, right? You're constantly just meditating on the Word of God. Now, you can meditate it. If you're Pastor Saeed in prison, he, he doesn't have a He has to meditate in his mind and his heart. As a matter of fact, that's what keeps him sane when you're in a tiny pitch black cell, right? Right? He's praying for you to go witness over there. You know, he's praying for the American church to go witness. Lord, catch them on fire. May they go preach your word. Fill them with your power. Fill them with your. May they see that you are worthy to be uh, worshiped and honored. And may they pray. And all these things, we can meditate. 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing what? The word of truth. Did you, you see there? God actually says we're supposed to be diligent students of the Word, able to divide it, right? Not like the guy who said, I love the book of Hebrews. It's my favorite Old Testament book, right? Some of you are, why is that that funny? Why should it be funny? Because Hebrews isn't in the Old Testament, folks. There's a lot of Hebrews in the Old Testament, but the book of Hebrews isn't in the Old Testament. But that's the least of dividing it, isn't it? To actually know what the book of Hebrews says, to know what the book of Romans says, to know what the book of Matthew says, to have read the whole Bible and just keep letting God sink it deep within you. Psalm 119, verse 40 and verse 65. Psalm 119 is a treasure chest of loving the word, but just these two verses. 40 and 65, your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. Do you love the word of God or do you barely like it? If you love it, if you never read it, you don't love it. 65th verse. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. People that love the Word of God, it's not that Satan doesn't try and trip them up. It's that God allows them to hop over because the Scriptures also say we're not ignorant of his devices. Pastor Bob, when I was in South Florida, one of the things that he would do when someone said, hey, can you do my so-and-so relative's funeral. If he didn't know the person, one of the things that Bob Bob would do is say, can you let me see their Bible? And if it looked brand spanking new and there wasn't a single thing in it, 
he would not preach a great message about how they were on fire. He's like, I don't know them. The only way I can know their walk with God is if someone can show me their sword. Does it have nicks and cuts and battle marks in it? Now, I don't write in my Bible. Start writing in it. It's not illegal. You can write in it. Or if you have, and he would ask if, they, if they're a person that wants to do a journal on the side, that's fine too. Some people actually prefer to write outside the Bible. But again, there'd be something there that we're actually meditating on it. Jude verse 1, verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now I want to go back to the key thing there. Building, well, that's all, it's all key, but one key phrase. Building yourselves up in your holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Building yourselves up in your hope, most holy faith. Where does faith come from? Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. All right, so Jude tells us to build up our faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. So then, how are we supposed to build ourselves up? Or getting stronger in Christ? Getting better with the sword of the Spirit? By hiding the sword in our hearts. Right? That's building yourselves up. Plus, if you like math, here's a mathematical equation. Hiding the sword of the Spirit, plus sign, praying in the anointing of the Spirit, equal sign, the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's say that again. Hiding the sword of the Spirit in our heart, hiding the Word, plus the anointing of the Holy Spirit, think John the Baptist, equals the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that we can have the same power that John the Baptist had? Same that Paul had? I love when I read guys like Mueller or D.L. Moody, they actually believed this, and they experienced it. They saw the same power of God. Now, that's hidden with our last point that we want to make, so that the importance of hiding it, not hiding it like, well, I hide the Bible, that's why I don't tell anybody about it. That's not the word. It's ready. A better word is, thy word is ready in my heart. It's ready for action. It is ready. I have it at the ready. I've got my sword in my hand. And a great example of this, of both hidden and handled, is in the Old Testament. We have a physical, a physical example. Remember, the Old Testament is always foreshadowing types of the New Testament. Ephesians 6, again, tells us who our real enemy is, demonic world. In the Old Testament, we see the Israel fought against real enemies like Canaanites, and Egyptians, and Assyrians, and Babylonians. So we have a physical example in the Old Testament of being spiritually ready to handle the sword of the Spirit. And it's found in the book of Nehemiah. It's not the only place, but it's a great one, one of the best. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Then, this is what it says, Nehemiah chapter 4, 17 and 18. Think of this, here's the sword in this hand. We'll pretend this is like a masonry trowel in the other hand, Right? And it says, those who built the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction. Swords aren't good for construction, folks. At one hand they worked at construction, and in the other hand they held their weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girdled at his side, in other words, ready. They had their hand kind of just on it. They weren't holding it out like this, but they had their hand on it in case 
they were attacked by the people that were trying to stop them from building the wall. It was right at their side. This was the ministry of Jesus. Jesus always had the sword of the Spirit at his side. Satan comes against him. Pharisees come against him. Sadducees come against him. He always had the sword of the Spirit to defeat vain arguments, enemies, attacks, temptations. But he also was constantly building people up, wasn't he? How about you? What does your ministry look like? Are you able to build people up? Do you build people up? Can you remember the last time you built anyone up? Are you building people up? Are you strengthening the body of Christ? Or are you actually bringing it down? Are you discipling people? Are you warning people? Are you able to encourage? Are you able to comfort? Are you able to defend? Are you able to proclaim? Are you able to fight against the enemy? Are you able to fight against temptation? Sword in one hand, building trowel in the other. Man, sword at the ready. It said it was right on their waist. Hand right by my sword. Man, you talk about guys that were ready. Nehemiah had a troop that could build. We can't today. We have people that are lazy and actually don't want to fight. They like to watch fighting. MMA, boxing, sports. But they themselves, no spiritual fight, but they're also not building anybody up either. That can't, now, that's, that's the world's mentality. That's not the body of Christ. Amen? We've been given a clear command to have the sword of the Spirit praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. Are we able to do these things? And a good example of this as far as all of the Word of God, Paul said in Acts 20, verse 27, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Even though the gospel is the central aspect, the whole scripture, the whole scripture from Genesis to Revelation, the most important aspect of the Bible is the gospel. That's why Paul said he would only preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. But you need to know more than the gospel to build up saints, to actually witness sometimes, to actually have answers to people who are hurting and they have trials and tribulations in their life. The gospel is most central. The, the new believer, Jesus, would tell the, the, the man of Gadara, now go tell what the Lord has done for you. That's the gospel. But as the man of Gadara grew, he would be able to tell them about Moses and Daniel and Elijah and Nehemiah, and you would grow beyond, and you would be able to do like Paul, the whole counsel of God, not just the gospel, which is the most important thing. Um, you, as a matter of fact, if you preach the gospel nonstop, God will then open your eyes to the rest of the scriptures as well. But uh, the key thing, we'll come to a close right here. All of it. We have to obey. We have to pray. And we have to stay close to Jesus. Amen? We must obey. We must pray. We must stay close to the Lord. If we do... He'll give us the sword of the Spirit and the force multiplier of the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, as he told his disciples, we won't even have to worry what we are supposed to say at certain times. The Lord will give us his very word in due season. Amen?